Greetings, everybody, and thanks for joining us today for On the Safe Side, a monthly podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. Greetings to you. My name is Barry Botino, and I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health. And with me, as always, are my two fellow associate editors, Alan Ferguson and Kevin Drewley. It's December, and we're coming to you from our respective homes as our team is continuing to work remotely. And wherever you are listening to us today, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us. We truly appreciate it. We hope everyone out there is safe and healthy during this time. And as always, we want to thank the safety professionals who are out there doing all they can to keep our workers healthy and safe. A sincere thank you from all of us for your extra efforts during the pandemic. If you'd like to keep up with the latest news on the pandemic and other daily updates from around the safety world, please feel free to check us out online. You can find us at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. And we also have a brand new website for our sister publication, which is called Family Safety and Health. And you can find that at safetyandhealthmagazine.com family to learn all about safety away from work. And this is episode number 10 of On the Safe Side. And this month, we'll do a deep dive into one of our stories from the December issue of Safety and Health with Alan. And he'll discuss the growing number of injuries and illnesses from working in the cold. And even though OSHA has not yet released its data on the top 10 most frequently cited standards for fiscal year 2020, we're going to share some interesting notes and quotes and stats and thoughts about the OSHA top 10, which is annually released in November. And of course, stay tuned for our pop quiz. We'll talk about our resolutions for 2021, a year that we hope does not include the word unprecedented to describe it. So let's get rolling. Each month here at On the Safe Side, we take a closer look at a story from the pages of Safety and Health magazine, which we call our deep dive segment. In our December issue, Alan writes about working in the cold. Now, while it's been unseasonably warm of late in our neck of the woods and around Chicago, winter certainly is coming here and elsewhere. So the story takes a look at what employers and workers should know about cold stress and ways to avoid related injuries, which is especially important considering a recent spike in lost time injuries and illnesses resulting from environmental cold. So Alan, could you please mine those tiny bits of crystallizing ice around you and and take us on this latest deep dive? Well, uh, first of all, thank you, Kevin Drewley, for uh, that wonderful intro. And yes, it is that time of year for the temperatures to drop. And, and, and many employers likely have a good handle on how to protect their workers in the winter. Um, but lost time injuries and illnesses, as you said, due to, quote unquote, environmental cold. That's how the Bureau of Labor Statistics classifies it. They've kind of spiked to a higher level in recent years. I, there was an average of about 120 such lost time injuries from 2015 to 2017, but that jumped up to uh, 290 in 2018, and it stayed, you know, relatively high this past year at uh, 280. Uh, that most recent number was part of the BLS's annual release of non-fatal injury and illness data in November. Uh, now we're talking about 280 and 290 lost time injuries out of you know around 900,000 total lost time injuries. Uh, for across the country in, in most years. So, you know, it's not a huge issue on the injury and illness front, but one injury is one too many. Um, so some factors for employers to keep in mind. First is the wind. And I'm pretty sure we all know about wind chill, but 
why that's important is that wind can blow away kind of your natural shell of heat that comes off your body, especially in these exposed skin. And there are a couple of different resources out there to help. Uh, the National Weather Service has a wind chill calculator and a chart that I believe will appear in the story and online. The American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists developed a work slash warm-up schedule for four-hour shifts that's available on OSHA's winter weather page. It shows a maximum work period and number of breaks depending on the kind of, I guess, matrix or whatever you want to call it of, between wind and temperature. And moisture is, is probably the second issue because think of the concept of sweat. Water comes out of your body and takes heat away with it when it evaporates. And obviously when you're hot from a workout or when it's the summer, you want that. But when it's cold, you, you don't want that. Um, and that moisture can take heat away at a rate of about 25 times faster than dry air. So that's why experts advise the use of a waterproof outer layer of clothing, especially boots and other footwear. And that'll keep the, the moisture from the outside, whether it's snow or ice, from getting to your skin. And that layer should also provide ventilation to prevent overheating. And again, that keeps the sweat from pooling up and taking away heat from from your body. Experts also recommend layered clothing in general, and that's so you can take items off if you're too warm or if your clothes get wet. And those experts recommend wool or synthetic material to provide insulation even when wet, and an inner layer of wool, silk, or synthetic material such as polypropylene to keep moisture, including sweat, away from the body. Remember, heat escapes from the extremities, such as the head and hands, so it's important to keep them covered and make sure clothing isn't too tight so it doesn't impede circulation. And that obviously is the body's source of heat. Um, and to help workers even further, a good rule of thumb, according to one source, is a 15-minute break for every hour of work. And when the temperature drops below zero, the work and the breaks ideally should be about equal, you know, 15 minutes on, 15 minutes off. OSHA doesn't have a cold stress standard, but what are its recommendations to employers? Well, that is correct. OSHA does not have a cold stress standard or a heat stress one, but of course it can still cite employers under the general duty clause. Um, the agency's recommendations are first to train workers. That's on subjects such as environmental and workplace conditions that can lead to cold stress. Knowing the signs and symptoms of cold stress ailments such as frostbite and hypothermia and how to select the proper clothing for the conditions. OSHA also recommends monitoring workers uh, scheduling work for the warmest part of the day, scheduling frequent short breaks in warm, dry areas, uh, providing warm, sweet beverages for em employees and no alcohol, and using engineering controls such as radiant heat and having a well-stocked first aid kit that includes a thermometer and chemical hot packs. And workers themselves should also have extra clothing available such as gloves, hats, and socks, along with a thermos or other container with something warm to drink if they need it. And they should avoid touching any metal surfaces with their bare skin. Well, Alan, obviously these are unique times with a pandemic going on. And, and as far as workers go, is something like a, a ski mask enough protection against COVID-19 when you're working out in the cold? Well, this is the uh, answer I'll give. It depends. Um, in an email response, some NIOSH experts stated items with multiple layers of fabric that cover the mouth and nose would be similar to wearing a, a cloth mask or other face covering. However, they also noted that some ski mask, and this is a word I struggle to pronounce, so I'll try it here, balaclavas, 
or other such items may have openings around the mouth and nose, and obviously that makes them uh, insufficient. The CDC recommends wearing a mask or cloth face covering when in public and when around people you don't live with. If respiratory protection can't be used, workers should do things such as maintaining physical distancing, washing their hands frequently, and cleaning slash disinfecting frequently touched surfaces. And if a face covering becomes wet, soiled, or visibly contaminated during a shift, you should replace it. Well, thanks, Alan, for sharing a closer look into your reporting on this story. Really great work. And uh, high marks for the pronunciation of balaclava. Well done. Uh, For any listeners who want to read Alan's full story about working in the cold and any of our other news stories, please check out the December print issue of Safety and Health magazine. Or you can visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. If you're listening to this podcast, we're pretty sure you like staying safe on the job and keeping others safe as well. We're also pretty sure that you want to stay safe and healthy when you're away from work. And we have a great way to help you out. It's Family Safety and Health Magazine from the makers of the award-winning Safety and Health Magazine. Family Safety and Health has tips and advice on topics from the home to the roadway and from your local parks and recreation areas to your medicine cabinet. You can visit us at nsc.org wellness or call 800-621-7619 to learn how you can get a subscription for yourself, your coworkers, your friends, and your family. Remember, that is Family Safety and Health Magazine, brought to you by the team that brings you Safety and Health Magazine each and every month. Well, folks, we're going to break from the format a little bit. This typically, as you know, is our five questions with segment, but this week or this month, I suppose I'm the de facto guest. Barry and Alan are going to indeed ask some questions, but we're going to discuss the OSHA Top 10. Um, as Barry mentioned at the introduction to the podcast, uh, Safety and Health traditionally presents the final numbers for OSHA's top 10 most cited violations for the recently concluded fiscal year in the December print issue. For reasons that are by now well documented, uh, fiscal and calendar 2020 have been anything but conventional. So at the time that we recorded this episode, Safety and Health was continuing to coordinate with OSHA on the announcement of the agency's top 10 list for FY 2020, which concluded September 30th. And we, we appreciate you, you staying with us. Um, I know there were some recent attendees to our, our safety and health webinars who are asking about this in some emails post-webinar. Uh, but we're going to look to continue to keep you posted and just ask you, please stay tuned to our website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com, and our social media channels as more information becomes available. Now, of course, the need to eliminate top 10 related hazards in the workplace and stay in compliance with OSHA regulations proceeds without pause. So Safety and Health turned to veteran safety consultants Joanne Dankert and John Newquist for some insights to help employers tackle OSHA's top 10. Um, We didn't want readers who were accustomed to seeing itemized information in the magazine at this time of year to grow listless, so to speak. So it's sort of a nod to that tradition in the magazine. Uh, We count these insights from one to 10. However, they truly aren't necessarily in in a particular order the way the, the top 10 list would be traditionally. Before we delve into a discussion about some of what the consultants shared, just wanted to give a refresher on OSHA's top 10 most cited violations for FY 2019. And again, those are based on agency data from October 1st, 2018 to September 30th of 2019. I remember um, the first year that I had helped present these in the the learning lab at the annual uh, NSC Congress and Expo, which, as you know, also has been 
postponed due to the pandemic. It was in Indianapolis, uh, David Letterman's hometown. So I, I tried to lighten the crowd with a lame joke about the top 10 list. I remember a couple people laughing, but at any rate, it would have been an indie this year. But without further ado, again, here's just a refresher from last year. Um, so at number 10, we had personal protective and life-saving equipment, eye and face protection, and that's 1926.102 that had 1,630 violations. That was followed by machine guarding, 1910 to 12, with 1,987 violations. Number eight, fall protection, training requirements, 1926.503, 2,059. Seventh, powered industrial trucks, 1910.178, 2,347. Sixth, ladders, 1926.1053, 2,766. Number five, respiratory protection, 1910.134. 2,826. Fourth, lockout tagout, 1910.147. 2,975. Three, scaffolding, 1926.451. 3,228. Second, hazard communication, 1910.1200.4,170. And number one, might sound familiar, fall protection, general requirements, 1926.501. 7,014 violations. Not to be glib, Kevin, uh, but I expect the list that you just shared might sound familiar, as you said, to many longtime safety professionals. What sort of insights did Joanne and John offer into why the top 10 can be so static? Well, it's a great question, Alan, and certainly appropriate to ask. And I know I mentioned the Congress and Expo. That's certainly something that often is on the lips of attendees and something that the three of us talk about amongst ourselves. Um, Fall protection general requirements has been OSHA's most frequently cited standard for nine straight years as of last year, and the other standards comprising the rest of the list often see little change as well. Um, going back to last year in FY 2019, lockout tagout, which ranked fifth the previous year, for FY 2018, climbed one spot to number four, and it swapped places with respiratory protection, and that was the only switch from year to year from the last two years for which there, there are data. Um, Certainly one reason to explain the lack of deviation is that these are just common violations associated with common hazards that have been around workplaces for a long time. Uh, Joanne had expounded on that idea, and she noted really that there are multiple parts to many standards, which make it easier for OSHA to cite that standard. Uh, And then additionally, some of the elements of the standard, they might not necessarily be difficult to implement, but they do take time and resources, and that can present an especially daunting task for employers at, at smaller organizations. Um, John piggybacked off that. He called these the, quote, nuances of the standard, unquote, and said that they were a contributing factor as well. Um, they, they had cited as an example hazard communication, which, again, in, in our review a moment ago, was the second most cited standard in FY 2019. But with, within, within that, the four most cited sections of the HASCOM standard require employers to establish or provide a written HASCOM program, hazardous chemicals training, copies of mandatory safety data sheets for each chemical, and also labeling for each chemical. So if you're working with a surplus of chemicals, that can just be a challenge right there to, to keep track of everything. Um, in, in the magazine story, as you'll see, we devoted a separate subhead to this, but documentation is a related concern when it comes to being organized and just keeping track. Um, Joanne and John both said that they often see employers struggle 
both with knowing when certain documentation is required, as well as producing the requisite procedures, pre-inspection checklists, or other documents on demand. Um, they advise employers to be more organized with documentation, and that's whether your system's electronically based or old school, as Joanne said, and, and incorporates uh, printed spreadsheets. Kevin, you gave a little disclaimer about smaller organizations a moment ago, which piqued my interest, and I'm sure that applies to a lot of our listeners today. Um, what, what did your sources specifically mention um, about concerns for smaller employers? Well, there were, there were a number of things, Barry. Uh, one overarching theme that Joanne mentioned was just to remember there's sometimes a balancing act among personnel at smaller organizations. Like you said, a, a lot of folks listening, I'm sure, can attest. Just, just think about it. A person might be juggling facility maintenance and safety or HR and safety or any number of things and also being in charge of, of safety. So this goes back to that discussion of resources, which also has an impact on training. Um, many times the consultant said there can be a, a decrease in revenue and that can trigger the instinct to pull back on training as a strategy for trying to even out the budget. And again, we, we are, we're in the throes of this pandemic and, and We've experienced that and seen that in many organizations. So they, they said that it's really paramount to just avoid deferring training for too long or pulling back on it altogether as sort of this measure to, to hope to balance things out. OK, let's just eliminate the training or curtail the training. Um, to that end, they said it, it can be instinctual sometimes to leave training for especially for hazard recognition and communication to just leave that up to experience or perceived common sense. But they both said that that can be a dangerous proposition, too. So just. These are the many cases for training, but especially, again, with, with the smaller organizations. Um, another point of discussion probably sounds pretty familiar to Alan, and he, he wrote about this in a previous issue regarding the injury and illness record-keeping rule. Um, under Part 1904.1 of OSHA's recording and reporting occupational injuries and illnesses standards, the agency provides partial exemptions for keeping annual injury and illness logs organizations that have no more than 10 employees for a full calendar year. But uh, Joanne noted that this can create confusion sometimes as to whether OSHA standards apply to certain employers. Again, it's just that that confusion over 10. And, and I know there's something in there about having the 11th um, uh, employee, even for a small bit of time, uh, that can just throw a wrench, so to speak, in, into some of these planning or just the general understanding. Um, so it's again, goes back to really knowing that these OSHA standards apply to employers and just that's having that understanding is going to have a bearing on citations as well. If you, if you realize what applies to you versus if you don't. So Kevin, in November, OSHA issued guidance to help employers understand the most frequently cited standards related to, to COVID-19 inspections. Uh, what kind of overlap uh, might exist between this list and the standard top 10? Well, certainly I know, um, Another one you're familiar with, the general duty clause, that was that was the top one listed in the in the overview of the most common COVID-19 related citations. Um, but another prominent standard, uh, I shouldn't say another because general duty clause is not on, on the top 10, but a prominent standard on this quote unquote regular top 10, so to speak, that also was listed on the COVID specific list is respiratory protection. Um, so as we mentioned, again, in that review a little bit ago, Respiratory protection was number five on the most cited violations for FY 2019, and the top section cited was 1910.134E1. Uh, Wouldn't be this time of year without uh, without quoting uh, 
section cited. So I'll, I'll just read from that briefly. Um, that, that one states that the employer shall provide a medical evaluation to determine the employee's ability to use a respirator before the employee is fit tested or required to use the respirator in the workplace. The employer may discontinue an employee's medical evaluations when the employee is no longer required to use a respirator, end quote. So that was the, the most cited standard. The second most cited standard within respiratory protection pertains to establishing a written respiratory program. So um, within what OSHA released in, in November are uh, several employer requirements that are related to these standards and the ones that pertain to respiratory protection that OSHA outlines in the COVID guidance. You see uh, several solutions to the, the citations that we just mentioned. Um, among them, uh, provide a medical evaluation before a worker is fit tested or uses a respirator. Another is to establish, implement, and update a written respiratory protection program with required worksite specific procedures, and also train workers to safely use respirators and or other PPE in the workplace and to store respirators and other PPE properly to protect them from damage and contamination. Staying on the, the topic of, of COVID-19 as pertains to the top 10, um, another consideration that was mentioned by the consultants pertains to a practice that many employers follow uh, at, the, at the start of the workday, especially, and that's that's taking workers' temperatures as they enter a worksite or facility. Um, so what, what was said, and as you'll see or have seen in the magazine, it's, it's important to not view this as automatically being behind on productivity to start the day. Uh, Joanne used the phrase of feeling like you're behind the eight ball. Um, doing so can create the feeling of being inconvenienced or rushed. And as many employers know, uh, that can pave the way to additional hazards or hazardous behavior when you're when you're feeling that way. Well, Kevin, are there any additional takeaways that that your experts that you spoke with had for employers? Yes, absolutely. Um, one is that employers should view the top ten as a good starting point for working to correct hazards in their workplaces. Um, it can really be viewed that way. Just at a minimum, uh, employers should ask themselves if any of the top ten standards affect them, and if so, to just begin to assess what might need correcting, just really take a, a litmus test of, of these things in their in their workplace. It's also important to know that OSHA is there for employers. Uh, OSHA offers cooperative programs, online outreach materials, and training grants, among other resources that are intended to help employers get in compliance and stay there. Uh, and then and lastly, it's just the idea that while compliance is critical, it's really only the start. And um, employers should realize that OSHA has more than the top 10 most frequently cited standards. And the full list beyond that is, is not exhaustive, as Alan said, about cold stress, heat stress. I know others out there can think of, of many things that are not covered in, in a standard. So in addition to, to the top 10, employers should seek to understand every hazard that's inherent to their industries and just follow the best practices that protect workers and have their minds on that at all times. Well, this is a really great discussion, guys. Big thanks to you, Kevin, for sharing your expertise and, and the expertise of your sources on this topic. And we look forward to sharing that new data uh, as soon as, it, as it's released from OSHA in uh, Safety and Health Magazine and on our website as well. And I, for one, am definitely looking forward to being at Congress and Expo in Orlando in fall 2021, as I'm sure Alan and Kevin are as well, for the reveal of another OSHA Top 10 in person. And of course, to see Kevin's latest sat snazzy sport coat, uh, folks, he does not disappoint in that regard. Uh, to read more about the OSHA Top 10, including 
perspectives from our National Safety Council workplace safety expert, Joanne Dankert, and John Newquist, a former OSHA inspector. Um, please check out our December issue of Safety and Health Magazine, where you can find Kevin's story on our website at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Well, I, for one, am pretty excited to see 2020 in my rearview mirror in a couple of weeks, and I'm sure plenty of you out there feel the same. Uh, we've heard a lot of words to describe 2020, uh, challenging, unprecedented, daunting, crazy, and a few more that we can't really say on this podcast, uh, but I'm sure I, you get the picture. Uh, a lot of those words have been used to describe the past year. Uh, in this section of our pop quiz this month, we want to share our hopes and our resolutions for 2021. And I'm sure a lot of us have hopes that it will certainly be better than 2020. Uh, I'll go first, and I'll just get started by saying the two things that I'd really like to um, put down on paper as my resolutions are one personal and one professional. First, I'd like to get outside a little more. Uh, working from home, we kind of get in a little bit of a rut sometimes, and I think just getting outside and walking around the block, enjoying the sun, uh, enjoying nature is really helpful. Uh, number two, I want to connect with professional colleagues a little more. Uh, Alan and Kevin and I uh, have a lot of exposure to each other, which is great. Uh, unfortunately, we usually, uh, that takes um, hold by one of us walking over to the other's desk and chatting about the latest uh, baseball score or football highlight from the night before. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to do much of that this year, which I've definitely missed. Um, so those are my two uh, for the year. Uh, Kevin, what about you? My resolution hinges a little bit on what you had mentioned in, in your, your first item. I feel pretty good about my endeavors to, to get outside. I think I mentioned in a previous episode how where, uh, where I live is near a, a walking path. And at the very least, you, you get time after work or take a little bit of a break to take a lap around this little lake. But uh, I'd like to, to get back into running. It's something I've put off for dare I say decades now. I ran high school cross country for a couple of years before retiring for the, the newspaper. But um, it's something that I've thought about, not entirely since that time, because I still ran a little bit recreationally in college, but it's something that I've enjoyed and, and gotten away from and long resolved and told myself, oh, you can do it, you can do it. And before the pandemic hit, there was a, a used book sale at a nearby library, and I saw a book called The Born Again Runner, and it seemed very apropos. I picked it up. I resolved to run and then I didn't. So I'd like to actually follow through this time and not not necessarily marathons and maybe not even 5Ks, but just kind of, I used to, to say, oh, I can run a mile on heart alone and I, I need to put myself to that test. Alan, how about you? Well, my resolutions are, are pretty similar to, to all the previous years, you know, uh, get, get healthier, eat a little bit, you know, better, uh, try to lose some weight. Um, I'm usually good in, in spurts, but consistency is always the kind of thing I, I'm, I'm searching for and, you know, starting to, that long-awaited novel, you know, start <laughs> wanting to write that or whatever, and figuring out whatever idea that comes to my head um, and see if it has any legs to it. But, you know, that's, that's what I typically have uh, year to year. I think in, in general that... Uh, like every year, I, I just want this, and especially this year, I, I just want this next year to to be better than the last. Well, I think we can all agree with that one, Alan. Uh, now we want to hear from all of you listeners out there. Go ahead and chime in with your resolutions for 2021. 
uh, by emailing us at safehealth@nsc.org, or check in online and social media with the hashtag SafesidePopQuiz. And you can find us on Twitter. And we may even share some of those in a future episode of On the Safe Side, so be watching out for those. Well, we want to say thank you to everyone out there for spending some time with us today. And remember, if you want to keep your employees, your colleagues, and your family members safe, we have just the publication for you, Family Safety and Health Magazine. Each issue is packed with helpful tips that will keep families safe at home and in the community, along with informational articles about your health. To get a free copy or learn more, you can visit our brand new website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com family, or you can subscribe by calling 800-621-7619. In the meantime, feel free to tell a fellow safety pro about this podcast. If you'd like to share some feedback with us, you can email us at any time at safehealth@nsc.org. And to find stories such as Alan's work about the working in the cold, um, as well as all the latest news about safety and health, visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. And also make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. We'd like to give a huge thanks to our colleague and sound guru, Chelsea Yang, for her editing work. Original music for this podcast was provided by Steve Maslin. On behalf of our team here at Safety and Health Magazine, we hope you and your friends and family are all safe and healthy amid the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll be back next month and next year with another episode to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully make you smile a little bit. Until then, please stay on the safe side. Mm-hmm.